Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Catherine. Catherine Marie, owner of Inspired Vitality LLC, is a speaker, holistic health coach, and cancer thriver. I like that, thriver. She studied with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in 2017, is now committed to providing support and education to those affected by cancer. Her most important role, however, is mom of her boy-girl twins. I also have boy-girl twins. They were my last ones. I went for one and I got two. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Who are at the center of her heart. This caregiver turned patient believes that a diagnosis may shape you, but it does not define you. Uh, So we mentioned at the top before we started recording, you have something coming out soon. Tell us a little bit about it. I do. I am in the process of working on a book and I'm so excited and overwhelmed all at the same time. Uh, So it is part sharing my cancer story. It is Mm. part providing uh, support to cancer patients in validating them and by providing tips to friends and family members. But it's also at the core, it's about moving from fear to action Because what I really experienced, and we can get into this with my story, but what I really experienced after going through active treatment is that I was moving forward physically, but not emotionally and got really, really stuck in that fear of recurrence. And so I've developed a strategy to move from fear to action, whether or not you're a cancer patient or you're an entrepreneur, you know, there's times in life when everybody gets stuck in something. And so it's about taking action. Okay, great. Uh, And I'll link up everything that you provided me, socials, website, anything like that. So people can follow you and find out when the book is coming. Perfect. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's what's needed is just follow me for updates. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are a breast cancer thriver. Yes. Uh, Start us from the beginning. Uh, How did you find out? What happened? Tell us all about it. I would love to. Thank you, Megan. All right. I'm actually going to start in 2000 when I suddenly had premature twins. My premature too. (laughs) I know you have, I know you have twins and I love that the twin mom thing. So mine were 25 weeks and they together, they weighed less than three pounds. Holy moly. Um, In the hospital, My son was in the hospital for four and a half months. My daughter was in for nine and a half months, extensive medical issues. Mm. Because of that, I developed a strong communication and relationship with doctors and nurses and physical therapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists, all of that. I was immersed in the medical community, not just during the hospital time, but beyond ongoing issues both my children have special needs. And so 
The ongoing care has continued. They are, however, 21 now and fan fabulous. I, you know, like I said, they're the, they're the center of my heart. Yeah. So fast forward to, that was in 2015. I went for an annual checkup and my, my checkups with my doctor and my mammograms, which I had started had gotten off. So I had had a mammogram eight and a half months prior, which came back saying normal saying that I had dense breast tissue and I went to see my doctor. It was February of 2015 and she was examining me and felt a lump. And she just, I had had a history of some lumpiness and she just said, Hmm, I haven't felt this before. Let's do some more testing. So uh, a few days later, I was getting a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound. And so first was the mammogram, then the ultrasound. And I noticed that during the ultrasound, the technologist would not look at me. And then she went and she got a radiologist at the end of the test. And this is where that experience with my kids came into play is because I saw this look on his face Mm. and it was a look of this is really serious and I'm not going to say anything until tests confirm. So I knew at that point that it was like, uh Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was, you know, and he said that it still was not evident on the mammogram, but on the ultrasound, they could see an area of concern in the breast and in the underarm lymph nodes. Oh, which I knew added an element of extra concern. Mm -hmm. That was a Friday. It wasn't until the following Wednesday when I went for a biopsy is the, the doctor said, you know, you need a biopsy. So I went in for a biopsy and that doctor was more forthcoming with me. Um, she even offered to show me the breast tissue and I'm like, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she told me the tissue did not look like normal breast tissue. She said it would take one to three days for the results. And it was the very next day that a stranger, a nurse, I didn't know called me and said, I think, you know, you do have breast cancer. And so that began the process of setting up appointments taking a step back in that five-day wait between the diagnostic testing and the ultrasound, I felt really out of control and that I needed to do something to control. You know, it's in those times when you want to have some sort of control and something that's like just craziness. And you're like, I'm only 46. You know, this is crazy. I shouldn't be having cancer. And so I had reached out to a couple of people that I knew locally that it had breast cancer and asked about doctor recommendations. And because I was so used to having really good relationships with doctors, that's really important to me to have good relationships and communications with doctors. So I had researched doctors in my network that were um, recommended to me and that I read bios and I felt, you know, that I (laughs) can relate to. 
And so when that nurse called me and said, you have cancer, I said, okay, here's who I want to see, <laughs> which surprised her, but I was, it, it felt good to have that piece of kind of input in my life and not be told who yeah. I was going to be. And so the following week I saw both the oncologist and the surgeon, they both agreed that based on the size of my lump that I needed a mastectomy. And there are different types of breast cancer with my type of breast cancer. The first step was surgery. I was in surgery exactly three weeks after my diagnosis. And once I recovered from that, it was five months of chemo and six weeks of radiation. So I can go into more detail if you want amongst that, but that's kind of like the, the active treatment period. So it went from diagnosis March 5th through radiation, which lasted through November of that year. So mastectomy is when they remove your breasts, correct? Yes. And I was given the choice of a single or a double mm -hmm. and I chose the double mastectomy. And yes, they move, remove all the breast tissue and I chose to have a delayed reconstruction, meaning they don't do any sort of beginnings. Some women, they have um, the beginnings of reconstruction at the time of the mastectomy. However, that delays the process because you have to, it, they're two different surgeons. So there's a surgeon that removes the breast tissue and then there's a plastic surgeon that does reconstruction and you have to coordinate doctors. Yeah. So I... It was recommended to me to delay reconstruction by the oncologist. And I just wanted to focus on the one thing at a time. And so that's what I did. And so I didn't actually begin reconstruction until the spring of 2016. That makes sense. Um, my grandmother had breast cancer. That's why I asked him, like, I think I vaguely remember uh, she had uh, one of her breasts removed uh, or both. I don't remember. I just remember her showing me. She's like, do you want to see? And I was like, yeah. sure. Like I do because like, because she had it, it increases my risk of possibly having it. Sure. Uh, so my doctor actually, I'm 35 and my doctor's like, we are going to start mammograms a little earlier than most people because you have a family history of breast cancer, but it, yeah, it, it was sad. And, but she was, she was older than, than you were when you had breast cancer. Uh, so she didn't really care about the reconstruction. She never went and had it because she's like, I'm only, <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. And I don't care. And I'm like, you do you. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So she went through it. We actually, um, I actually interviewed somebody who talked about their breast cancer journey a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see the difference uh, amongst your stories and how you, um, how you coped. Right. And, and that's what I would like to talk about. Not so much like the nitty gritty details of like, what is chemo and how do you go through it? Because like that's stuff people can Google. Exactly. <laughs> like, yes, I agree. How did you cope during that time? Like you said, you struggled. Mm -hmm. What, what was going on in your head? So, um, initially, of course I was very, very scared. Mm -hmm. And because my kids 
are ones that are not flying the nest at a young age. That added a layer of um, worry, I would mm-hmm. say. And so I had all these, these difficult emotions, of course. However, as soon as the diagnosis actually was official, I feel like I jumped into function mode. And even before that, because once you're diagnosed, you get, you have to go through more testing, but I, I had the emotions. I had moments of tears and, and fear, but also I was just laser focused on Mm -hmm. functioning and make making things as normal as possible as I could for my children in the process. I had two goals, be healthy and make things as normal as my, as possible for my kids. So that was like, I became laser, laser focused on that. Mm -hmm. And I was in function mode. And what I have since discovered is, you know, during that active treatment that served me really, really well, but it's, Sometimes for some people, and this was the case for me is afterwards, like after you get through all the really traumatic stuff, you kind of stop and you look around and you're like, holy cow, what just happened? Mm -hmm. And you just like look around and you're like, wow, I have changed physically. I've changed emotionally. I like, I don't know me anymore. My, my body doesn't look the same. My body you know, I have ongoing conditions that I deal with. And, and so the emotions were really, really hard at times during the process, but it was afterwards, it was even harder. It was just so much fear of recurrence because I think knowing that I felt healthy and then just in an instant it changed Mm -hmm. and I was suddenly a cancer patient and knowing that if my cancer comes back, it's, you know, it it can metastasize to the bones and the brains and the lungs. And so then if you have an ache, for example, then you're like, oh, is it the cancer? You know, there's always that thought kind of in the back of your head. And, and so there's that, and then there's trigger moments that can occur for a cancer patient emotionally. So even just follow-up doctor's appointments, even to this day, I'm six and a half years out and I'm still seeing my oncologist every three months. And when I see him until I hear those words that yes, the blood works looks fine, you know, it's it's a sigh. So there's Mm -hmm. still, I like to say that the fear is always going to be there, but it doesn't have to be a part of your everyday and, and, and it's, it's manageable for me, but yeah, emotionally, it's it's a hard thing to manage that um, the cancer ongoing forever, because it, yeah. it, what I've learned is that cancer doesn't disappear once active treatment's done. It just goes into remission. Yeah, for breast cancer in particular, they say no evidence of disease is how they call it, Ned, um, because currently there is no evidence of disease. <laughs> yeah. That's the new term. Um, but yeah, so, and because breast cancer in particular is such a high recurrence rate. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so you see your oncologist every three months right now, when does it change to where you don't have to go as often, or is that just going to be it forever? I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, he's, I love my oncologist and he's one that just, you know, we'll see how you're feeling. And, you know, there may be a day when in the near future, when he says, you know, let's wait and push it out another six months. I'm, I'm okay with seeing him every three months. I am so, so lucky because I live about 10 minutes from my cancer center. So oh, I'm wow. just like, I'm just so fortunate, you know, it's easy. Yeah. And there is a, and I know you don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the medical stuff, but part of my post-cancer treatment, oh, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just mentioning this because it's part of the emotional impact is so part of my post-cancer treatment is, um, an oral medication every day. And then I get an IV every six months to strengthen my bones because the oral medication can weaken the bones. But prior to that, for five years, every single month I was going in for an injection. Wow. So every single month I had to go into the cancer center. And it's funny because sometimes it just is reassuring, you know, when you're right right out from the cancer treatment to just kind of have that (laughs) check-in. I didn't see the doctor every month. I still only saw the doctor every three months, but just to have a healthcare provider to touch base with every month was actually kind of reassuring, but yeah, I did that for five years. Yeah. That's why I go in for my annual checkup. I'm like, I just want you to, to ensure that I'm doing okay. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, It's kind of reassuring to touch base. Yeah. I mean, uh, a little bit off topic. Have you been worried with COVID about having gone through cancer? Cause our, the cancer treatment like depresses your immune system, doesn't it? At this point, my immune system is not suppressed. Okay, good. So I, but it was really scary. In fact, I did a couple of videos, um, just for my like business page on Facebook, for example, I, I did a couple of videos when the pandemic first hit. And the first time I went to the cancer center, when COVID happened and, and people were like in all of their gear and yeah, stuff. nobody knew what was going yeah. on at that point and, in time. And it was just like, it felt very emotional and traumatic. Like I, I made these live videos afterwards saying, you know, oh my gosh, these people are geared up and it's really scary. And, and like, it was, it brought tears to my eyes Mm -hmm. because I, it was just so scary to think that, you know, I made it through cancer and then there's this virus out there yeah, (laughs) that could do serious damage and not just for me, but for my kids because of them and their history, respiratory history, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was such a scary time. Yeah. I, my twins were premature, not as premature as your twins were. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 am a, a little concerned and they, they haven't had any health problems. So I'm hoping like, I mean, it was very fortunate they haven't considering they're premature, but I'm like, what if there's something we didn't know? Like, you know, like, it's not like they're testing their music. Yeah. And so it really is concerning to me, but I just wondered because, um, you know, a lot of people who have been through treatments and stuff, I mean, still, we're still in a pandemic. People try to pretend like we're not, but 
like, you know, are concerned about, you know, I see a lot of people I know who are like, I'm immune compromised, or I've been through these medical treatments that, you know, depress my immune system. And I'm really worried about, you know, getting COVID and what that might do to me. So that's why I asked, I was just a little curious. It's so funny because it's like, well, hand sanitizer was cool for cancer patients before it was for COVID. <laughs> you know, we would always carry, you know, as a cancer active cancer patient, you carry around a sanitizer anyway, yeah. you're super cautious anyway. But yeah, like the connections I have with other cancer patients that are, especially the ones going through active treatment, it's a super scary time for them, but not only um, just for the immune system, but the fact that some of them, like I was fine going to chemotherapy alone. I'm just independent that way. And it didn't bother yeah. me. Some people really need that support person and weren't mm. allowed to have that person with them. Yep. And I think that's been really, really hard on cancer patients. Yeah. It's very isolating. Mm-hmm. It really is. And even though I haven't been through any, you know, really medical treatments. I mean, I had to meet virtually with my doctor last year because they were like, we're not doing in person. I cry when I hear stories or see like if you're watching a show and they show you like what it looked like at the beginning of the pandemic, like, cause I walk, watch a couple doctor shows. I ball my eyes out. It's a very like visceral response to what the beginning was like. I mean, I feel like we've, it's kind of normalized now, like we're used to it and it's not as like traumatic, but like in the beginning, everything changed and you didn't know what was going on. And there was so many unknowns. So I, I can understand how somebody, even though I haven't been there, how somebody is like, I'm used to going for cancer treatment and having somebody there and it going a certain way. And now it's completely different. Right. So how have you coped since then? Like, what are some things you've learned to help you not live in fear, right? Because you don't want to live in fear. You don't want to always like be like, oh my gosh, you know, you said, you know, you do get concerned if you have an ache, but that's different than just being fearful all the time. Exactly. The biggest lesson that I've learned, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but you can have laughter and you can have cancer. And that is the biggest lesson I learned. And I learned that from really from other cancer patients. And in particular, there was this one woman, her name is Rachel. And we became friends in the fall of 2016. And when we met, we met through an online community And when we met, she had stage four breast cancer. Oh, wow. And I really kind of resisted the friendship at first because I knew she was dying from this disease that was the same as what had been in me. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, really hard for me to want to be friends with her. I wanted to, but it was scary because- you know, this is like my reality in my face, you know, and she was in another state, but we just, we connected. We quickly became very, very close friends. We talked and text every day. And I'm sure part of that, like with the time constraints, knowing essentially she was dying. 
-hmm. She was pretty late stage when we met and we would get on the phone and we would laugh and cry in the same conversation. You know, we would talk about her burial plot and then we'd talk about onion rings. You know, we would just, and the tears would be both from laughter and from death, you know, and and conversations and, and learning that it was okay. And not only okay, but healthy to laugh even amidst cancer. It was, that was just, for me, that's one of the best lessons. And that's why I believe in the and I believe, you know, I just learned that all of these, these really scary emotions and hard emotions, everything, all of that, that negative, difficult emotions and the joy and laughter, they can coexist. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that too. You know, I, I've been there where something horrible has happened and you can't just sit. And I always say this, like you feel your emotions, right? They exist. Like you're upset, you're angry, you're grieving, but if you sit there and you, you wallow in it and you never come out and you never try to experience other things, it's not healthy. So feel it be in there, but then allow other opportunities. You don't have to stay in that place, right? It is absolutely okay that something horrible has happened, but you still could have like a good experience with something completely different. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think one of the ways too is learning, like what I I tried to do is I had a cancer-free hour when I was going through active treatment, you know, a lot of times you get phone calls and texts and, you know, people reaching out, which is wonderful. However, you have to, at some point, just like put a pause on talking about cancer when you're going through it. And so I just, I said, you know what, dinner hour, I don't want to hear from anybody. I don't want to talk about cancer. I don't, this is my time with my kids and we are not talking about cancer during that time. I'm not going to try to think about, you know, what my appointment is tomorrow or that sort of thing. It's, it's just like really, I guess it was, I was kind of just trying to make sure that I incorporated some, some healthy time and not just immerse myself in cancer and still be who I was. Yeah. You don't want to lose yourself in that. And I, and you said you're dealing with you were dealing with texts and calls and everything from everybody. Do you feel like they kind of erased who you, who you were like, and just focused on the cancer? Um, some people maybe. Yes. And I think it's, it's really important for, uh, a patient to advocate for themselves and say, you know, I just don't want to talk about cancer right now. And I remember saying that to people like, you know what? I'm okay. I just don't want to talk about cancer right now. Tell me everyday things. And with that friend, Rachel and I, we would do that too. It's like, you know, she, I, I would say, you know, do you want to talk about it today? Or do you want to talk about normal things? And, and so having that open communication, um, whether the patient starts the conversation or the family member, friend, whatever, and being open to like having that communication and saying, Hey, should we talk about normal things? Or do you want to talk about your cancer? Because I think it's really important that 
fan, friends and family support the cancer patient on that emotional roller coaster. I think of the emotions as the biggest roller coaster that you could ever ride because like the highs are really, really high and the lows are really, really low. And it's just, it's, it's a constant up and down. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I understand the highs really high and the lows really low. Cause I have bipolar disorder. I know so. <laughs> It's a whole different, you know, scenario, but I'm like, yes, I understand. It's a completely different diagnosis. Yeah. However, you know, there, yeah, the emotions are, are just very dramatic. And it probably feels just as out of control as mine did prior to having medication. Right. Yeah. You know, um, just something, something can set you off and, and, you know, you could just be like, man, this really sucks. Uh, but then other times you're like, Oh, look, look at how far I've come. I've, you know, I am in this number of treatment of this many. I'm the, the finish line is right there, right there. I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, triggers, for example, I want to mention that that can be really hard emotionally for a cancer patient, breast cancer awareness in particular can be really hard for some people. They like embrace it. They do the fundraising and they walks. And I appreciate people that are out there like raising funds and doing walks and all of that stuff. For some people, all of the pink is really, they call it pink washing. All of the pink can be triggering. And I remember, so I finished my chemotherapy mid-September in 2015 and my very first breast cancer awareness month I like, you know, I was, I had an appointment that I had to go to and I walked out of my cancer clinic and I saw the water fountain lit up with pink water. And I was like, really? Because for me at that point in my life, all I wanted to do was get away from cancer. I did not want to be looking at pink and I didn't want to go to stores and see pink products. And, you know, and I feel like retailers capitalize on all of that pink stuff, but it, the, the triggers can happen with all of that pink stuff for some cancer patients and some are, some love it because it draws attention. Yeah. So I think it's important just to be aware if you know somebody who has had breast cancer or is going through treatment that it's not all pink ribbons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel that like that it, it, it maybe this is going to sound bad to other people, but maybe kind of devalues the experience because now it's just become like this hype around it instead of like really focusing on the struggles. I, I'm a domestic violence survivor. And I see that sometimes with domestic violence awareness where it just becomes like this, like catchy phrase, like look at my purple ribbon and, and, you know, Oh, look at all this awareness. And instead of being like, there's real stories behind these ribbons and, you know, these purple and this pink and all of these things, there's real struggles behind it. Exactly. Yes. You, you are so eloquent with your words. I love that (laughs) because yes. And that's the thing is this, 
there are people struggling every single day, whether they are still in active treatment or not, they're still struggling with ongoing effects. I still, like, I, I can't walk unless I go to acupuncture every month. You know, there's, there's ongoing effects every day. And I think, you know, it, for some people, it's harder than others physically and emotionally to move on. And, you know, I'm grateful that I'm in a place where I know how to manage the physical effects Mm -hmm. and the emotional effects. And that's when I talk about triggers, that's when I, it's, it's me talking about compassion for those people that Mm -hmm. haven't maybe um, learned to manage, um, you know, and, and get through it with a, without it bringing them down. Uh, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I feel for the patients who are really struggling. That's what I'm trying to say. I feel for the people that are really struggling because of outside factors. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times we try to compare, right. Compare like struggles and be like, oh, well, this person has it harder or, you know, I have it harder instead of really focusing on like everybody's experience is different. Uh, You don't know what's going on in their lives and you don't know how they cope with things, right? Uh, Something that might seem relatively easy to other people may actually like be a struggle for me because of my mental health, despite being on medication. Like it will never I will either be a zombie, which I don't want to be, or I will still struggle a little bit with the ups and downs and the, you know, mental health. So it's not the same, but similar is, you know, you don't know what the other person has going on that may uh, impact their journey. And it Mm -hmm. may not be the same. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I was just telling somebody this morning that this chemo brain, chemo brain is real. And I struggle. Like (laughs) I have to like go over, you and I are in different time zones and I have to tell myself over and over again, no, okay. Now we're meeting at this time in my time zone and make sure that I have it right. And even though I have it on the calendar and even though the calendar converts it to my time zone and all of these things, it's like, I really, really have to um, make sure and double check and all of these things because cognitively, especially if I haven't slept well, I really, really struggle. Yeah. Sleep is so important. People don't even realize that, especially for brain function. And if you're already somebody that struggles brain function now, now it's like an extra struggle, right? It just makes your day so much harder. Yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, uh, uh, my medication and bipolar disorder actually makes you have brain farts, if that makes sense. Like I will like struggle to like come up with words and like forget like silly things. And my spouse is like, we already had this discussion. I'm like, oh, we did. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I feel you on a, on a different level about that. Like, and then when I don't sleep, well, I'm just like (laughs) way out there. Uh, but I want to point out to people before, you know, we start to wrap up this up is chemo is poison and it doesn't like when you're talking about like these struggles you have, that is because it doesn't really like differentiate between like the bad cells and the good cells. And and unfortunately that's where we're at right now, even though, you know, they're researching other treatments. That is what we've found is the best so far. 
but it, it does. It can leave uh, cancer patients with these after effects because mm-hmm. of the chemo, the poison that has essentially been injected in your body. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. No, no, no. Yes. I mean, it is what it is, right? <laughs> right. Right. I know. And, and I think that's what a lot of cancer patients struggle with is, you know, yes, this saved my life and man, this kind of stinks. Yeah. Ha- having to deal with those after effects potentially for the rest of your life be- because mm-hmm. you, it saved your life, right? It exactly. saved your life, but still left you with these like after effects. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. So I just want to point that out. Cause I, I think a lot of people like misunderstand and they're like, oh, it just like attacks the cancer cells and they're gone. And I'm like, yeah, but it affects other parts of your body as yes. well. Oh, in so many ways. <laughs> and yeah, like so many ways. I remember questions like even like with hair loss, you know, because hair actually like loses at different rates, whether it's on your head or different parts of your body. And I remember somebody saying to me, so do you, you lose hair all over your body? Like every place <laughs> because they wanted the inside scoop. And it, the yeah. answer is yes, you do <laughs> everywhere even in your nose. Oh, you lose the hair follicles in your nose as well. Yes. yes. Oh, wow. You lose hair everywhere. And in fact, um, and your eyelashes and your eyebrows and yeah, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, as and they wrap- lose at different rates. Oh, different. So you lose hair on different parts of your body at different rates. Right. So like the hair on the head goes first, typically when you start chemo and then the eyebrows and the eyelashes are later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, as we wrap up the podcast today, because I know you have other things going on, uh, other important interviews. I am not the most important person in the world. No, but I love this with you. (laughs) We could do this for hours, right? Uh, everybody says that. I mean, I shouldn't say everybody. Most people say that. And I'm like, no, literally we could talk for hours about all the things. Cause I, I'm a person, so I'm an introvert. I do not like just small talk. I don't, it drives me nuts when I meet somebody and they're like, Oh, what do you do? And like all the, I'm like, no, okay. I want to know about like the real serious stuff that's happened in your life. Let's talk about that. And usually when I first meet somebody, we literally will get into some like really deep stuff because that's, I love talking about deep stuff, right? Like, and uh, even though I'm an introvert, I really enjoy one-on-one conversations. I do like need my rest and like rejuvenate time, but I enjoy those deep one-on-one conversations. I'm not a social butterfly where I'm going around and like, hi, how are you? My name, I tried that. It is not my thing. So yes, I could talk (laughs) for hours about really deep topics. And I have to tell you that I am the same. I feel like we're kind of like soul sisters in a way, but I have always been that way where I, I, I value really deep relationships instead of the surfacey stuff. Yeah. However, it's become even more so with cancer and other cancer patients say that as well. It's like, it's almost like we don't have the time to waste on surface stuff. 
Yeah. You know, let's get to the good deep stuff because you never know. Let's just like cut through the, the surface and go deep and, and really have valuable relationships because I mean, frankly, when you have cancer, some people just leave your life. They can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And then there's people that show up that you wouldn't have expected and that become valuable in your life. So I love going deep. Yes, me too. Well, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? This is for all women, no matter if you have experienced cancer or not. My big thought is please accept help when you need it. It is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. Rather, asking for help is a sign of emotional strength and maturity. I love that. I I swear every podcast episode, I'm like, I love that because I honestly do. And I agree. It's so hard for women sometimes to ask for that help. Mm -hmm. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Megan. I sincerely loved talking with you. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.